margin. Margin, what is margin, Pastor? Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. It's the difference between what you have and what you need. So let me give it to you like this. If you have 30 minutes to get somewhere and it only takes you 20 minutes, you have 10 minutes of margin. You seeing this? Now, some of you are flipped. <laughs> you got 20 minutes to get somewhere and it takes you 30 minutes to get there. No margin, right? If you've got $100 and you've got $80 in bills, then you've got $20 in what? Margin. That's what margin is. Margin is what you've got left over beyond what you needed. And most of us today live with no margin. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough relational um, investment in people because we don't, we don't have margin in our lives. When is the last time you, you asked somebody how they're doing and they told you, man, I'm great. I'm not in a hurry for nothing. Everything's gravy. When's the last time you heard somebody say that? I asked somebody this morning, how you been? Oh, man, busy, man. Whew. That's the typical response, right? We're always what? Busy. We always got something to do. And we end up not doing the best thing sometimes. Amen? So I, I want to start by giving you a test this morning. <laughs> Welcome to our Savior's Church. You get to take a test. So get you a piece of paper off of the back of the seat in front of you. Grab you an envelope and a pen. You're going to take a test this morning. Everybody's taking a test. You, you, okay, you can put it on your smartphone if you want to. That's fine. You, you tree huggers. You're going to take a test this morning to determine if you have any margin or not. Y'all ready? I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're going to score it. And at the end, we're going to... Tally up your score. Five questions. They ain't going to take long. All right, here we go. If you feel rested and relaxed, then give yourself a zero. If you feel that you could have stayed in bed an extra 15 minutes, then give yourself a one. If you feel absolutely exhausted, give yourself a two. And if you're asleep right now, give yourself a three. Hmm. Question number two. If you were here at church 10 to 15 minutes early this morning to connect and get your, ch- your kids checked in, give yourself a zero. If you got here right at 1045, give yourself a one. And if you got here during the music, give yourself a two. Question number three. Give yourself a zero if you're behind on your laundry right now. Give yourself a one if you're a little behind on your laundry. Give yourself a two if you had to dig through the hamper to find the cleanest shirt to wear today. Just saying it happens. Question number four. Let's look at your finances. If all your bills are paid and you have extra in your account, then give yourself a zero. If you pay your bills, but there's nothing left at the end of the month, give yourself a one. If you often pay bills late, give yourself a two. Last question. If you hit a red light and just stopped and didn't get upset, give yourself a zero. If you break at the last minute and lock your seat belts, give yourself a one. If you gunned it and ran through the life screaming mercy, give yourself a two. 
And if you hit somebody, you need to go turn yourself in. Just saying. So what you need to do now is tally up all your scores into one total. And if you have a five or more, you're overloaded. So I'm not going to embarrass you by getting you to raise your hands if you're overloaded. It basically means that you have no margin in your life. Amen? Simple test, kind of fun. You're not laughing, but that's okay. So our society today is overloaded. Amen? It's overloaded. We're overloaded to the point that overloading seems normal. Right? Busyness is the new normal. In fact, if you're not busy, people think you're weird. What's funny is I remember being jealous and mad at people that had time. I thought they were lazy. It's like a bunch of lazy people. What are they doing with extra time? How dare they have extra time? We joke all the time about the, we used to watch the show in Living Color. You remember the Jamaicans on the, in Living Color? Okay, let me see. How many of you remember watching in Living Color? Okay, y'all remember the Jamaicans? They would come up to you and say, hey man, how many jobs you got you? Two jobs. You lazy llama being you. You just got two jobs? Y'all don't remember that? That's the way we get sometimes. We see people and they're not busy. We kind of get jealous and mad at them. But the reality is that we're so busy that it seems to be normal. And sometimes we don't even know how to act when we're not busy. How many of you have a hard time resting? I took Saturday off. Stayed in my pajamas till 1 o'clock. Took a nap right after lunch. Come on, somebody. Y'all proud of me or what? A good nap. No kids at home. That's when you get a good nap. Just the wife and I. Great day. Enjoyed. But you know what? I had a hard time getting to the point where I could relax. It was just hard to get there. And then once I woke up from my nap, I felt great. But then I felt guilty because I started thinking about all the things I could have got done while I was sleeping. So that messed up my nap. So the basic truth is that we spend our days off trying to do what? Catch up. Right? We're always trying to catch up. I got to catch up on this. I got to catch up on the bills. I got to catch up with the kids. I got to catch up on the yard work. I got to catch up with this. I got to catch up with that. I got to catch up with rest. How's that working for you? You caught it yet? Come on. You know how it is. You miss it. You have a bad night or you work late and you can't sleep. And you spend the what? The whole rest of the week trying to catch that sleep you lost. You don't ever catch it. Right? The, the reality is you fall further behind. And that's the truth because we're so busy. We don't stop. We don't quit. We don't hang out long enough to rest. So what does margin look like in the everyday life? Let me give you a few examples of what margin looks like. Showing up 10 to 15 minutes early for a meeting is called margin. Having money left over at the end of the month along with $1,000 in emergency money is called margin. Having the emotional capacity to deal with problems and not unload on your kids because you're overwhelmed is called margin. Having three to four nights a week where you don't have anything on your schedule is called margin. Having enough time and resources to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus by helping others in need is called margin. That's what margin looks like. We're good at stacking the schedule. We're good at filling the schedule and keeping us busy. I think we're not good at creating margin. 
So what happens when we live a marginless life? Number one, when margin decreases, your stress increases, right? Go with me to Luke chapter 10. I want to show you something. Story of Jesus, Martha, and Mary. Watch this. Talking about margin here and what's important and focusing on what's important. Verse 38, 1038. The Bible says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Okay, now y'all see what's going on, right? She's telling on her sister to Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I mean, you, you think about it. Put yourself there. How ridiculous was that? Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. I'm over here doing this thing. And she's not helping me. And sometimes we look at, at, at others the same way. When people make a choice to put margin in their life and they're spending time with God and they're spending time with their family and they've got margin in every area of life, sometimes we look at them and they go, they're not doing something right. But the reality is that Jesus corrects her in the next verse and tells her that Mary is the one that's actually choosing to do the right thing. But when margin decreases, stress increases. But notice this, Martha wasn't distracted by anything bad, was she? It wasn't sin. I mean, think about it. She's preparing a meal for Jesus. All of us would think that would be a good thing. That's a good thing. Jesus, she invites Jesus to the house. She prepares her best meal, right? She's going to her go-to. My wife, it would be her roast and gravy. She'd cook that for Jesus, and I'd be happy about it. I'd invite Jesus over more often. But she would be busy preparing that meal for Jesus, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But she was distracted, the Bible says. She was doing the wrong thing even though it wasn't a bad thing. You see, sometimes we get so busy doing good things that we miss out on God things. If you back out of the story and you look at it, Jesus, the son of the living God, is sitting in their living room and Martha's worried about what's going to get cooked and Mary's like, no, I'm taking advantage of this while it's right here in front of me. You see it? But Martha gets stressed out because there's no margin. She chose to do the wrong thing. You know, what's funny is that Satan, if he can't get you to be bad, he just gets you to be real busy. And either way, he wins. How does he win? Because he keeps you distracted from the purpose that God has for your life. If you're bad, you get caught up in condemnation. If you're busy... You're distracted and you miss out on the good things that God has for you, right? That's what I just shake your head or something. I'm going to preach for two hours. I'm telling you right now. It's true. We get busy with the lesser things and we end up missing out on the more important things. Cheryl and I are quickly realizing right now that we don't have much time left with our kids. My oldest is 17 years old. For all you young parents, let me give you a little bit of advice. There's two days coming in your future that, that's significant. The first one is the first time they drive out of your driveway 
without you being in the car. That will change your prayer life. I'm um, radically change your prayer life. I was sitting on the front porch in Virginia, left to drive the other two kids to school. I'm thinking my whole kid, my whole lineage is in the car with my 60. Oh, my God. Lord, I pray for I just heard. Seriously. It's a major day. The next day is when they leave your house. I'm not ready for that. I'm just going to be serious. I'm not ready. I asked them if they wanted to go back to diapers this morning. None of them took me up on it. So if you're fussing about the diapers you're changing right now, listen to me. Change your attitude and rejoice over them diapers as long as you can. Because there's a day coming where they get this thing called a license. And then they leave your house. But we're quickly realizing that we don't have much time left. So we're having to create some margin in areas that we've been out of balance because we want to take advantage of the time that we have left with them. Because the most important thing that Cheryl and I are doing right now outside of our relationship with God is raising up three kids. We got to do this well. God trusted us with these three kids to raise them up and send them out into the world to do damage for the kingdom of God. And we got to make sure we take advantage of the time that we have left to do the best that we can. So, so right now we're kind of in like, okay, we got to shift some things around. We got to move some things. We got to shift. We got to change some things because the most important thing is our time with them. Because I don't want to live my life when I'm older with regret. When I'm 60 and the kids are out the house and they're doing well, I want to be able to party with a clear conscience. Come on, somebody. I mean, we're going to go. Right? And then we also have to create some time for Cheryl and I to work on our marriage because one day there's not going to be any kids there. And sometimes we hide behind our kids, don't we? We don't address our marital issues because we're hiding behind our kids' issues. But one day they leave the house. And then you're looking at her and she's looking at you and you're going, "Uh uh-oh. What are we going to do now? Right? So you got to create some time and space and some margin. What happens when you don't have financial margin? You get marital stress. The number one cause for divorce today is financial stress in the marriage. Financial stress is the number one cause for divorce today. Crazy stuff, right? We need a little margin, don't we? Number two, when margin decreases, your relational intimacy decreases. Look at verse 41 and 42. But the Lord said to her, Mary, I mean, dear, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus corrects Martha for trying to get Jesus to correct Mary. And he says, no, 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 girlfriend. You got this out of order. I didn't come here for a hot meal. I came here to hang out with you. And Mary has chosen to do the right thing. You see, you got to get this. Jesus is not more concerned about what you do for him than what you do with him. He cares more about spending time with you than what you do for him. Sometimes we substitute what we do for God 
for our relationship and our intimacy with God. There's a tendency as a pastor to substitute what I'm doing right now for my intimacy with God. But here's the reality. In about 20, 25 minutes, this is going to be over with. And I'm going to be daddy. I'm going to be husband. I'm going to be everything else again. And my life is going to be based on my relationship with Jesus. I can't substitute this for my intimacy with God. You can't substitute the good things that you do for your intimacy and your intimate times with God. You can't do that. But that's a, a tendency of ours. Well, I'm doing some good things. I'm going to church. Great. I'm happy you're at church. I really am. But that does, that's not a substitute for your relationship with God. You need more than a Sunday meal. My preaching ain't good enough to get you all the way to Saturday. Thank you for not saying amen. I really appreciate that. That made me feel better. I'll go to an hour and a half now. But our relational intimacy decreases when margin decreases. Too many times families sit down. Watch this. I'm going to get on a little soapbox here for a minute. Too many times families sit down to eat dinner and everybody's got a plate, a drink, and a phone. Or an iPad. Come on, I'm going to preach a little bit. And they, they quickly start eating and then they're, they're scrolling. And man, we're getting good with our hands. I'm just going to tell you. you can, I, I, I've, I've been at the point where I could eat like a, a, a double quarter pounder with cheese from McDonald's driving and sending an email at the same time. I'm just that talented. Yeah, I, I, it's a bad thing. So I quit eating at McDonald's, right? I tried it with chicken. It was just a little too hard. But too many times we sit down with all these tools in front of us. And let me get on this little soapbox about Facebook for just a minute. I quit Facebook three and a half months ago. And my life is good. You don't realize how much you're you're getting swept away by that until you walk away from that. Let me be clear, though. Facebook is a good tool. We use it at the church. It's a very good tool. It's a good way to connect with people. It's a horrible way to have a relationship with somebody. Because let me tell you what Facebook does. Number one, they named it Facebook to give you the impression that you're face-to-face with somebody. And so you get to communicate with your thumbs. And then to express emotions, you get these little emojis. We're laughing because we fall for it. Right? And we call that relationship now. But it's not. Facebook is a good tool, just like a crescent wrench and a screwdriver is. But I don't walk around all day with a crescent wrench in front of my face or a screwdriver in front of my face or I'm sitting at the dinner table with my kids staring at my crescent wrench. Then why should I do that with Facebook? I struck a nerve. You see, there's this lost art in society today called visiting. Let me tell you, let me define visiting for you because I know most of you don't know what it is. Visiting is when you actually get out of your house and you drive to somebody else's house and you sit down across the table or on the porch or even in the living room and you have a face-to-face, not a Facebook a face-to-face conversation. 
right? And you get to see the pain in each other's eyes. You get to hear the joy that each one of us experiences. You get to experience it with them. It's not a smiley face on a screen. You actually get to feel the relationship. You can't get that with Facebook. It's called visiting. You ought to try it. We spend countless hours on Facebook. I pray to God that we don't get to watch a video when we get to heaven of our lives. I hope God doesn't rewind the tape because some of you, look at me, some of you are going to look like this. I heard a story the other day, a guy, was joking, he was picking on his wife because she's on Facebook so much. He said when she lays in bed at night, she doesn't have a phone in her hand, but her thumbs do this. Real story. Wow. No margin. We don't, why, why is Facebook so popular? Because you can, you can live without margin and stay connected to people. It's a substitute for creating margin in your life. It's a cheap substitute. Amen? Whew, you don't like me now. You didn't even amen that one. But let me tell you why I'm kind of on this little soapbox. Because you see, when there's no margin in our life, there's relationships that start to get cut. When you start running out of time, or if you have financial, if you don't have financial margin and you've got to work extra hours, you run out of time. When you run out of time, what's the first relationship that gets cut? I'm going to step out on a limb and answer this one for you. Your relationship with God. How do you know, pastor? Because I've been guilty. And I'm also a pastor. And when people come into my office and, they, and they, they need counseling or we need to talk, one of the first questions I ask, how's your relationship with God? Oh, you know, pastor, I've been busy, man. You know uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, man. You know, life's busy, man. Yeah, I understand. But you know what? That's your problem. Think about that. The first relationship on the cutting block is your relationship with God. Number two is your spouse. So what we end up doing is, is we end up creating or not having margin in our lives. And then we start to cut on relationships that are most valuable to us. The most important relationship you have on the planet is with God Almighty. That is your number one most important relationship. You can't do nothing good without a good relationship with God. The first person you should seek in the morning is God. In some way, shape, or form, give him the first fruits of your day. Amen? And then the second one is your spouse. We take them for granted. Oh, they can't leave. We got a contract. Ah, I can, I can push a little bit on my marriage. She'll, she'll forgive me. She'll, I know what she's going. She's just going to bark a little bit, but she's, she'll be all right. You know, I'm telling the truth. We start to cut relationships that are most important to us. Do you know that God's a relational God? He sent his son in person to die on a cross for each one of us. That's a relational thing. 
It's a relationship. God sent his son to die on a cross and paid a penalty for our sin so that he and I could be in a relationship. Because the sin was in the way. Are you seeing this? So he washed away my sin and he he took out every distraction that was keeping he and I from having a relationship. God's a relational God. You'll never discover that if you never give him time. I challenge you this year to mark and put aside the first fruits of your day for God. Whichever way you need to do that. Amen? One of the things I do is I, I get on my phone. I, I use my phone because there's certain things I do first thing in the morning and nobody else bothers me. So I, I go to Version. It's a Bible app. They've got Bible plans. They've got professional readers. If you don't like to read, this guy that sounds like James Earl Jones will sit there and read the Bible to you. And you're like, I read my Bible in the morning. I do Bible plans now. Why? Because it keeps me consistently reading the word of God, feeding it into my spirit, me giving time to hear God's word and put it inside of me. Because sometimes I don't have an hour to spend in the morning. Sometimes I don't have time to open up my, my, my dictionary and my concordance and go into a deep Bible study. Sometimes I don't. But I can get the word of God and I can feed myself, Right? There's ways to do it. So I challenge you to to create margin in your life this year to spend time with God because we cut relationships out. So here we go. How do we start creating margin? Ephesians 5, 15 says this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live, but those, don't live like fools, but those who are wise. So number one, acknowledge and repent of foolish living. The first thing we need to do today is to acknowledge that I've lived foolishly in 2016. I've, I've wasted time, I've wasted money, and I've wasted relationships in 2016. You need to just go ahead and accept it, and you need to repent of it. What does that mean? Repenting means that I confess my sin to Jesus, he forgives me, cleanses me, and I turn away from it, and I never walk back to it again. That's repentance. The Bible says, to live like those who are wise, right? Foolish living is filling your life with things that don't matter. That's called idolatry. Idolatry is when I make a good thing a God thing. Anybody guilty of that? Why is it so hard to say no to to buying things to be able to say yes later? Why is it so hard to stop every day and refresh ourselves with God's presence? Why is it so hard to cut some things out of our schedule to spend quality time with our children? Why do we let our kids get involved in every sport but have a hard time investing in them spiritually? Why? Why is it so hard? Because it's called idolatry. That's what it's called. Repent and ask God to to forgive you and ask him to give you wisdom and help to create margin in your life. Number two, make wise decisions. Same verse. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but those who are wise, you need to make some wise decisions. Most of us, when somebody says, hey, man, you want to go to the game this weekend? We say, well, man, if I'm free, I'll go. That's our typical response. That's not a bad response, but let me give you a better response. You should say to yourself, is it wise that I go to the game? Because if you're struggling in your marriage, Do you need to go to the football game? You can answer that. 
Men, I would suggest you say no right now. Just helping you out. No, Pastor, no. Shouldn't go to the game. If you get off early and a buddy invites you to go to his house, should you go to his house? No. Come on, just do like I'm doing. No. No, Pastor. Your wife will love you for this. Come on, I'm trying to help you. If your kids are struggling with an attitude or some kind of thing that they're having a hard time with, should you spend your time with other people? Or should you be spending your time with your kids? Which one's wise? Spend time with your kids. You need to ask, is this wise for me to do? I told the, the early service, I got into a bind this year. My, my neighbor went and bought this Polaris Ranger. It was pretty. And then they had a tax-free sale weekend at the Polaris dealership in Ville Platte. And I need one. So I said, well, I'll just go look. First mistake. Don't ever go look. So I go look at this guy, man. He pulls me in. I mean, I was like a bass on a June bug. He just pulled me in. Before you know it, I had the price. I had the accessories. I had everything but my wife's permission. And that was the hard part. So I made the phone call. You remember that, Doug? He was riding with me. My co-conspirator. He led me into that, by the way. Tempted me. So I called my wife on the phone. I figured if I got Doug in the truck, she ain't going to say nothing too bad. I said, hey, babe, I'm here with Doug and the boys. Hey, I found this ranger. It's on sale. Baby, it's tax-free. You get that? Tax-free. 2% interest. This is what our note's going to be. What you think? Well, if you think it's wise, it's like, do a tantrum in the truck, in front of Doug and the kids. Couldn't get out of it. I didn't come home with a ranger. I made a wise decision. Thank God for my wife. Right, men? That's a good place to say amen. Thank God for your wives. crazy we got to learn to say no to many good things so that we we can say yes to the best things i'm a task-oriented guy i like to get things done i'm a production kind of guy i get so overwhelmed with getting tasks done that i don't like to spend time with people sometimes and it's, it's been a hard lesson for me to learn to stop worrying about the task and spend time with people but i've had to discipline myself and I'm, God's still working on me, discipline myself to put the, the, the task aside and spend time with people. And you know how God's breaking that? Every time I get in a hurry, some old dude comes driving up and he wants to talk. And they're always sweet old dudes and you can't, you can't brush them off. So you got to sit there and listen to all their stories and you, mm-hmm. And you're dying inside because you got X amount to get done in a day and they want to talk and talk and talk. Had one the other day. <laughs> Doug was with me again. He's, I'll tell you, he always gets me in trouble. Me and Doug's trying to get somewheres. We're trying to get somewheres and this old guy drives up out the blue and he gets out of his truck and he's talking and talking and Doug comes walking up and I slipped out the back. 
And I went got on the tractor, and the old man got the hint, and he finally left. But God's teaching me to slow down and to spend time with people to make wise decisions because relationships matter more than anything else. Amen? So number one, acknowledge and repent of foolish living. Number two, make wise decisions. Number three, stay connected to Jesus at all times. This is the last point. Look at verse 16 and 17. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. You see, the best thing we do is what the Lord wants us to do. Not what we want to do. You're not saying amen to that. That's the best thing we can do. Proverbs 16, 9 says this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Get this. God Almighty gives you permission to make your plans, but he determines how you walk out those plans because he determines your steps. Now, there's, you're not going to find a better deal anywhere. It's not even on Good Friday that I can make my plans, but then I get to use the Lord God Almighty to determine my steps. Okay, is this making sense at all? Because you look like the mule at the gate this morning. I'm serious. You're making this real hard. I get to make my plans, and God gets to determine how they, how they flow out. I don't know about you, but I think that's a good deal, right? Because here's, here's what happens. When we give our lives to Jesus, we now are free. We've been given freedom. Not freedom to act like we want to act and do what we want to do, but freedom to tap into God's divine nature. So I'm now a believer, and before I was a believer, I used to run my own life. I called all the shots. Well, now I'm a believer. I'm tapping. I'm tapped into God almighty. I'm tapped into his divine nature. And I get to use all of his wisdom, all of his discernment, all of his future plans, everything that he knows. I get to use it to walk out in this life. So I get to tap into his divine nature. And by that, I receive divine power to do divine things on the earth. Are you seeing this? That's how God works, if we'll tap into it. But if we don't tap into it, then we're basically just calling ourselves a Christian and still living like we want to live. And that gets very frustrating, right? So Cheryl and I are are rearranging some things in our family right now to create margin. That just didn't fall out the tree and hit me in the head. That came out of my prayer time. That came out of my quiet time with God. If I don't sit down and have a quiet time with God, I never get to hear him take care of me. I never get to get his wisdom. I never get to gain understanding. I never get the caution that he sends sometimes. Because that's what he said to me. I was in a quiet time and he said to me, you know, you don't have much longer. You may need to back out of some things right now. Do you realize, Jamie, you've only got three or four more years? And then they're gone, bud. God loves me enough to tell me, son, you better stop and take care of them right now. I get to make the choice to listen. Push aside some things that aren't as important. 
basketball, went on the cutting block. Done. Pulled him off. Spent more time at the gym than I spent at home. That's not getting my family anywhere. It's for me. It came out of my quiet time with God. If I don't stay connected with Jesus, I get lost. I wander off. I get off track. I get selfish. I start leading myself again. Amen? I want to be led by God. I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to take advantage of this opportunity I have to tap into his divine nature. I get to plug into the source called God. Let me go to Matthew chapter 11 real quick and I'm going to wrap it up. I want to give you an invitation. Matthew 11 verse 28. I would suggest you read this when you get home. Once I get to Matthew 11. Watch how many times Jesus uses me and I in these verses. Chapter 11 verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me. All who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. Do you see it? Do you see the invitation? That's an invitation for every one of us. That's God's gentle way of saying, you know what? You don't need to worry about trying to run your own life. You don't need to worry about making all these, own, these decisions on your own. You don't need to worry about trying to set this up and do this and do that. You just need to come to me and I will give you rest. Take my ways. That's God's gentle way of saying my way is better than your way. I mean, that, what kind of deal is that? That I get to come to God Almighty and take His ways and learn from Him. It's an invitation to every one of us when we're broken and we're tired and we're weary. It's an invitation to every mom who, who doesn't feel like there's enough time in the day to even get some time for herself. It's an invitation for every husband and father who... He's got the weight of his family on his shoulders. It's an invitation for every one of us to come to Jesus and to stay connected to him. That's the invitation he gives us. But like any other invitation, you can accept it or you can reject it. Right? I can give you tickets to the Super Bowl. You can decide if you're going or not. Right? Jesus' words say, come to me. If you never go to him, you never experience that. Stay connected to Jesus at all costs. Last verse, Psalms 46.10. Come on, Steve, you can come up. Psalms 46.10. Bible says, be still. That's right, be still. And know that I am God. Now, if you play with that verse a little bit and you throw some of the words around, you can almost say, to know God, you need to be still. But some of us can't sit still long enough to get to know God, right? Because we got too much on our plate. 
I know this in my life. My wife can tell you that pretty much the whole family knows when I haven't spent enough time with Jesus. They all pretty much know. It starts showing up in my attitude. I get fussy. My words get edgy. I get short. Not in statue, but short in temper. I get impatient. I get critical. And I get downright grouchy. Grouchy. 